This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Two things over the weekend with our water temperature, as I like to call it, uh, with the Israel-Hamas conflict in the city of Toronto. One is a bit of a relief, and yet it's remarkably concerning. Friday, we're following up on something from Friday, so it's new if you just, you know, again, tossed your phone uh, into a, a cubbyhole all weekend and left it there. God bless you if you can pull that off. Um, but they've charged a man after a taxi driver was assaulted, and we played you the taxi driver being assaulted. So this is Toronto police moving fast here. Um, they charged a man after Toronto mosque worship worshippers were assaulted. A taxi driver and a woman wearing a hijab were sprayed with a foreign substance. Like, terrible stuff. And I think we've seen what's happened before, not uh, the least of which, ironically, only for the timing-wise, is when we aren't vigilant about this and vehement and vocal and any other V words you can think of when there's moments like this in our community. Um, it can make it feel like, oh, it's okay. Nobody noticed. Nobody caught the guy. We can just do what we do and we can feel what we feel and express what we want to express. Well, you can't if it's hate-motivated. And uh, there were so many moments, like when I heard about the story, I thought, wait a sec, the 28-year-old is the same guy that sprayed a substance into the taxi driver's face? And it's the same guy um, showing up at a mosque and throwing rocks at cars and rocks at worshipers? Well, they're right. And and police uh, landed him, if you will, and arrested him. He's 28 years old. And he's been taken in. So you can imagine he's facing a variety of charges. Guy's name is Chandler Marshall of Toronto. And he's been charged with a ton of things. And this case will be very interesting to see what sticks and what doesn't. But um, we play, the clip from the taxi driver we played you on Friday was a taxi driver at 4.30 in the morning in the area of Front and Young. He rolled down his window, thought a guy needed a ride. And he was just trying to pick up a fare. And uh, the guy asked what religion he was and then sprayed him in the face. We still don't know the substance. And then he moved it along um, from there. But instead of just thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Because, again, allegedly psychotic people don't do that. He followed up with more the next day and even more the day after that um, before the cops found him. Because this event happened on late Wednesday night going into Thursday morning. And then they arrested him for uh, showing up at this mosque on Saturday. So that's one of the two stories. The other one I think is quite significant, and it's this um, from, and, and the Toronto Sun has this, but I know there were conversations happening about this in the days leading up to Friday. Sick Kids has placed a doctor on leave while the hospital probes an anti Israel social media post. And we talked so much about this, and I'm going to play you some of this before top of the hour with, uh, or at top of seven o'clock with Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education about what's the responsibility here? What's the level of um, emphasis that a, an educator on social media could utilize social media to weigh in, if you will, on what's happening between Israel and Hamas and, and sort of this clashing as well at times between what seems like um, the Jewish and Muslim communities in, 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 my, in, in where I live and the city of Toronto as a whole. Basically, our whole society. They've placed this doctor on a voluntary paid leave, which is fine. Well, the hospital investigates the post. Um, this person's name is Christian Zarur, 
who's also a U of T teacher, and I don't know if U of T has laid weighed in on this, I should say. He's an anesthesiologist. Um, his quote, his Instagram post, we consider Israel to be absolute evil. There is nothing worse than Israel. If Israel and the devil fight each other, we will stand with the devil. Um, so that so he's dealing in a lot of reality there as opposed to uh, uh, hypothetical uh, things, because that would be really something if the devil came from wherever the devil comes from. Some of you might be devil believers. I'm really not into that stuff. But Zerur is, because why would you put it on Instagram otherwise? And Sick Kids addressed the comments by acknowledging, here's, his, here's the quote from Sick Kids, recent social media activity related to the war in Israel and Gaza is causing immense grief and concern in the community. We strongly believe any forms of racism are completely unacceptable, will not be tolerated, and will be investigated as per Sick Kids Code of Conduct. So we'll see where these things go. Again, if you run a hospital, if you run a school, a community college, any sort of private business, there's been another real estate agent fired. You know, Frank Leo sponsors uh, the, the show and the radio station, right? Um, Frank Leo and Associates. And, 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 you know, he's somebody, I think, that, that looks and says it's the last thing he would want to deal with. I think he's seeing all these real estate companies uh, run, into, run into hot water, and he's probably just relieved it's not happening at his workplace. Like, it's the last thing you want to deal with. Because what I'm noticing is we're all, we've all got this concept of, oh, you're on this side or that side. Well, I appreciate you telling me because I don't have a side. The side I'm on is um, maturity. The side I'm on is law and order. The side I'm on is treat people with respect. And, and by the way, nobody in Toronto has anything to do with any sort of thing that's happening in, in the Middle East right now. So if you, we can't influence that conflict one iota. And I'm going to tell you that I don't think our prime minister can, and I sure know city councilors can't. So some people, are, I think we're coming around to that where there's more people thinking that the, the, the minority have sort of lost the plot in stories like this. Um, it's incredibly concerning. I want to get to that uh, story regarding uh, Dave Bradley had it in the news about what Colin DeMello, our uh, Queens Park Bureau chief, uh, put out as well, which is rather remarkable and I think is going to make people quite incensed. And that is the concept that this Stellantis plant, there's been so many of these big announcements with um, workplaces, um, battery factories and uh, the Stellantis EV battery plant in Windsor has temporary workers that have been sort of parachuted in from South Korea to work at the plant. And in all these announcements, that wasn't really something that was put up there to suggest that that would be happening. So these are all taxpayer subsidized um, workplaces. I think that's fair to say you're taking federal government money opening the plant, you're giving companies these performance incentives, the feds are, the provinces, to produce all these batteries over 10 years. But what wasn't announced in the announcement is the idea of temporary workers coming from South Korea. And that's not ethnocentric or xenophobic to say, hey, you know what, if that's what you need, fine. If that's the only way to make this plant work and make them as efficient as possible, well, what am I going to do, oppose it? But the question is, the, the big situation there is you didn't tell anybody that wasn't in the deal. And I think it's very fair to ask questions to the federal government, to the province at the same time. Windsor police posted photos of a meeting per Collins story with the South Korean ambassador uh, to discuss the South Korean workforce coming to, quote, our community, which is Windsor. 
And um, the police has said they expect 1,600 South Koreans traveling to work and live in the community of Windsor um, next year. But why? 1,600, no small, uh, no small influx of workers that might be bright, might be helpful. And who am I to say that foreign workers shouldn't be here to help make a, a business more efficient? We thrive on immigration, right? But doesn't seem like the provincial or federal governments are willing to step up right now and validate this, A, and also, B, explain why they didn't mention anything about this in the initial announcements. And again, it's taxpayer money, so it's going to cause a bit of a stir about that. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, If this story um, was considered a help or a hindrance to the Liberals, I'd have to think right now it's a hindrance. Um, But there are considerable concerns, and this story is on our website at globalnews.ca, considerable concerns about a Stellantis battery plant. You know, one of these big announcements, there was one in St. Thomas about electric vehicle batteries. We're going to do this. They've certainly they've revolutionized things in Oshawa, near where I am in Durham region, to produce you know batteries for electric vehicles as opposed to the standard uh, ICE cars, the internal combustion engines. But this report from uh, from Colin DeMello documents that a handful of temporary workers from South Korea aren't proposed to come to Windsor. They're there already. The question is how many, how temporary. And where does this go? Colin DeMello, uh, Queen's Park Bureau Chief, joins us now on Toronto Today. It's an amazing story, Colin. Thanks very much for coming on. And But it also has federal implications and provincial implications, doesn't it? Well, that's right. And that's because taxpayers, both from across the country and in Ontario, will be subsidizing the uh, Stellantis uh, LG uh, battery vehicle, electric vehicle battery manufacturing facility that's set to go into Windsor. And we all remember this uh, scenario because uh, the company had threatened to pull out of Canada if it didn't get those massive subsidies that the government had given uh, to Volkswagen earlier this year as well. So this is, I mean, a big coup for both levels of government, right? They want these massive uh, investments here from these international automakers because they see electric vehicles as kind of the next phase of where the economy is headed and where the jobs will be coming from. The trouble is, is did these contracts guarantee that these jobs would be for Canadians? Because Mm -hmm. it seems like there are a lot of indications that uh, the company might be hiring thousands of workers from South Korea uh, to come in here and operate these facilities. We don't know for how long, uh, but at least, you know, the local economy in Windsor is starting to prepare for an influx of uh, up to 1,600 South Koreans, both workers uh, possibly in their families, to live and work uh, in the Windsor region, leading to a lot of people questioning, well, hey, hang on a second, why are we subsidizing these companies if they're not hiring from the domestic labor market. Yeah, Nexstar Energy is the company. And some of the numbers that I've seen, Colin, and looking at it uh, after I saw you'd worked on this story, were they announced at the original announcement 2,500 full-time positions at the Windsor Battery Facility. I mean, it doesn't take some quick math. The 1,600 that that you list and that the Windsor police were actually um, tweeting about, that's about 72% of the jobs potentially going to foreign workers. That was not in the initial announcement. And that's that's going to be a shock to everybody. 
Well, and listen, everyone seems to be scrambling in the area to try to understand exactly what is happening here. So what we do know from from those with the Ontario government, the Ontario government seems to be indicating that about a handful of South Korean employees are currently at that facility in Windsor uh, performing some kind of work. Uh, and, and they said that the company had filed what was called a labor market impact assessment to try to determine whether there was enough expertise in the local workforce that they could draw on and, and to demonstrate that you know, perhaps if there wasn't, that they would need to rely on the foreign market in order to draw uh, those employees in. Now, Nexstar has been hiring people, and, and they had promised earlier this year that they were going to take about 100 employees and, you know, ship them to different factories uh, around the globe operated by Nexstar to, to learn how those facilities operate, to come back and then train other employees here. It, it seems like they either may not have found um, you know, more employees domestically to be trained, which is why they're looking to import people. Now, the federal government, they are the ones that look after this labor market impact assessment process. They have to um, approve it, and then they have to approve the temporary foreign worker mm-hmm. numbers that are applied to and then are granted. The feds say only one employee has been greenlit so far, um, but it seems like this plant is preparing for, and Windsor is preparing for a lot more. So there's a lot to be learned about what's happening here. Colin, I know you spoke to uh, um, opposition leader, NDP leader, Marit Stiles. I want the audience to hear what she said in terms of the initial reaction to this story, and then we'll talk about it on the way back. Here's NDP leader, Marit Stiles. I think that working people in Windsor are going to be very deeply disappointed. This deal was supposed to guarantee uh, jobs, uh, jobs right here in Ontario, jobs for people in the Windsor region. We are at a time right now where Ontarians are desperate. Many of people are having trouble making ends meet. These good jobs are super important for people, and particularly in that region, which has been pretty hard hit. So I will be reaching out to our MPP, Lisa Gretzky, to unions and representatives in the Windsor region. Colin, is there early finger pointing between the federal and provincial governments on, on this one and, and where the conflict lies? Well, there's finger pointing from the provincial government to the federal government, right? Remember, I mean, they are coming up with the bulk of the money of the $15 billion, $10 billion is coming from Ottawa, another $5 billion is coming from um, Ontario. And these are not, you know, we're not, taxpayers aren't giving money specifically to these companies. These are performance incentives. Every battery that comes off uh, that plant will be heavily subsidized in terms of tax breaks. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, the questions will be growing, right? Who signed this contract? What was in the contract? Uh, the Ontario government says the contracts are confidential. But, you know, more and more, this will start to become a political issue for both Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford. And so you can see how, I mean, these two have made strange bedfellows, but they've also now entered into a contract with a third-party company together. The question is, who saw that contract and was in the rush to mm. ensure that Stellantis would remain in Ontario did they perhaps overlook a couple of key crucial items? And then the other question is, what about Volkswagen, right? That's another massive in Saint Thomas. subsidy company. Yeah. Yeah. What about them? Are they also allowed to bring in temporary foreign workers, or is that all to be drawn from the domestic labor market? Um, a lot of jobs at stake. That's what the government, both levels of government, sold Canadians on, that this mm-hmm. was about jobs and saving Canadian jobs. So we'll see what happens next. Some great reporting. Colin, thanks very much. I know you're busy this week. Liberal uh, liberal votes on the weekend for the Ontario Liberal Party. We'll touch base later in the week on that front. But the great story here on globalnews.ca. appreciate you coming on. Will do. Thanks for having me. There's Colin DeMello joining us. Yeah, it's one of those things where 
they're Canadian tax dollars. There are money. And I think it's a bit naive and a bit heavy handed to say, well, we can't import any foreign worker like that's that's really not what, what it should be. But there needed to be a safeguard and there needed to be a, um, a reverse cap, if you will, saying here's the baseline for how many of 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 these jobs are Canadian. And I don't know the number. It's a 70 percent. Is it 80 percent? It sure isn't 28 percent. And if there's 2,500 jobs at this Windsor plant and there's 1,600 workers from South Korea and there's at max 900 Canadian jobs, nah, that's not what the that's not what the tax dollars were for. And nobody, nobody said anything about that at the initial announcement. Nobody did. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. But we bring on right now a uh, purveyor of that campus and one of the great minds that teaches the great minds of today's youth. Not sure that's how he puts it every time, but still, um, his students listen to the show, so we have nothing but love for them. Dr. Eric Cam, economics professor at Toronto Metropolitan University. The Bold. I saw the Bold everywhere, blue and yellow, and the Bold. We toured the athletic facilities. You're not the Rams anymore. You're the Bold. But I know you know this already. We are the Bold. Now, how many times did you have to throw my name around to get into a locked door? <laughs> there were a lot of locked doors. We got locked out of a few different places. You're, you're airtight. Your your university security for me gets an A minus. It's amazing. It's they they wouldn't even let us in the mess halls. They wouldn't even let us in the cafeterias because uh, I could wander up and tell them I'm a youthful looking grad student and I forgot my meal plan card. And next thing you know, I'm eating. So they want to make sure I didn't do that, Eric. You know, it's funny, Greg. Sometimes you do things out of luxury. Sometimes you do them out of necessity. Unfortunately, the last few years, as we've discussed, has left our campus um, a little bit less than rock solid in terms of security. And so what we had to do very quickly was that horrible word I hate, pivot. And we just locked the place down. And as you saw that you can't get into most places unless you have either a student or a faculty card. And while some people think that that may create a fortress and a sense of exclusivity, I actually disagree. Nobody you know, walks into a law firm and just walks around the place without somebody with them. So I actually, I'm, I'm in favor of the fact that they've locked it down. And unless you're a community member, you can't get in. And that's just the way it's going to be until the young Dundas area becomes a whole lot safer. I'm good with that. Um, everything I saw, every possible security measure uh, ended up making sense to me. Let's get to this story. So Tuesday, a federal fiscal update from Christian Freeland. But this started to drip, drip a bit yesterday that the Trudeau government wants to crack down on people who profit from short-term rentals. Now, they're not going to tell you, Eric, you can't list on Airbnb or Verbo if you've got a vacation property or you're going out of town for a while, but they sort of want to, my read on it is, they sort of want to circle back around and, uh, and, and make sure that you're paying your fair share in terms of taxes, clearly. Yeah, I mean, what does this do, right? This speaks to the magnitude of the housing crisis, and it also, I think, speaks to the magnitude of what's coming tomorrow in the fall economic update. And neither one of them is doing very well. I mean, th there's a lot of questions here. As soon as you tossed me this topic, a lot of things went through my mind as an economist. I mean, first of all, how do you actually implement this? I'm not exactly sure how they're going to be able to pull this one off. And then mm. there's a bit of an expression that when you start to clamp down on these things, we tend to see a lot of movement from gray to black markets. And so as soon as they, if they really do try to implement this, I think you're going to see a lot of private deals apart from Airbnb. I mean, Airbnb may be the vehicle by which um, demanders find suppliers, 
but maybe then they make private deals off of Airbnb. And so there really is no books to be had and then no taxes to be paid. Uh, I also see that what tends to happen in these cases is higher rents, not lower rents, because they have to make up the shortfall. If, if owners are going to be taxed, then they're either going to pull their house off the market, although I don't think that that's overly likely since they want to make money. So they would just raise their rent to try to make up that shortfall. But I think the thing, Greg, that bothers me the most, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, mm. is that I think this is another case of the public sector coming in and in a sense punishing the private sector for their lack of planning and execution of a housing plan. It's almost like when you've got nothing left, let's tax somebody. And if that's really where we are, then our housing problem is worse than we thought. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the name of this show at times could be two things could be true. I understand the federal government wanting to look and say, let's make it uniform across the board so people can't play shell games. It's it's not unlike, speaking of university students, not unlike you subletting your apartment, letting someone else live there, but you're taking some of that money back and hoping that person doesn't burn the place down because you're the one on the lease, not them. But it also, the second thing that can be true, Eric, is the fact that the federal government, the provincial government, and yes, cities have been absolutely complicit in allowing the high housing crisis get to this point. Do you agree with that? Well, of course. I mean, of course, I agree with that. And that's where we are. We're in a really problematic situation. But I have to admit that I do have a bit of a sympathy here toward owners. I mean, Greg, you own your home, you own your car. Can you imagine anything as ridiculous as let's just say hypothetically, if you don't drive your car within six months, you have to put it into a public pool of cars that anybody can drive if they need it. And that's really what's going on right now. That's what this plan is effectively with the Airbnb market. And I know what the government's doing. They're throwing up a Hail Mary and they're saying something's got to work. Something has to address this yeah. monumental housing crisis. I just don't think this is it. I don't think it affects that many units. And I think the simplicity with which we'll push this thing into the black market I mean, it almost makes it ludicrous. You know, I don't care how two people meet. I don't care if it's if it's the dating market or the housing market. As long as you bring people together, which is what Airbnb does, you can make a deal offline. And I think you'll just see a lot more of them. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, OK, inflation rate this week, it declined to 3.8 percent in September. It was for the previous month. I've never seen so many people who wouldn't have known the inflation rate, Eric, if you walked up to them 18, 24 months ago and asked them on the street. But it feels like we all wait for these days and, and every month and hope it goes down so that interest rates can go down. What do, what do we expect this week? Um, I think well, it's a, here's here's what I think you're going to see. But then here's reality. I think you're going to see the inflation number tumble a bit. And I think that you're right. It's an expectations argumenter. So you have people that are going to hang on and say, OK, look, the price level is coming down. So whether it's 3.8 or 3.7 or 3.6, people will say it's moving in the right direction. And in a sense, since expectations do drive the markets, that's probably a good thing. But here comes my bearing of bad tidings. Does anybody really believe that prices are only up three something percent? I mean, I think that this number, this statistic has become a little bit of a joke because anybody who buys food or clothes or fuel or anything else in this country knows that prices are so much higher than three or four percent on anything that matters that the, that this statistic has almost become a joke. But sure, let's go with what you said. Is it going to tumble? Yes, it's probably going to tumble a little bit and that'll make people feel better. I just wish the government and StatsCan and the Bank of Canada were a little bit more forthright with their numbers 
Stop telling me about silly things like core inflation and this inflation. Yeah. How much has the price level gone up in the last two or three years? Uh, and we know, Greg, that number is closer to 40, 50 percent when it comes to food. 20 seconds. What's the earliest the interest rates could drop? Next year. They're not going to drop this year. They're not going to drop early next year. I think you might see them go in the second half of 2024, mm. but I'm not convinced they're going anywhere because I'm not convinced we get the real numbers on inflation. I'm not sure we know how bad these price level increases have been with how fast they are. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to go down, if it'll be in 2024, but I wouldn't buy you lunch telling you that it's going to go down because I'm not convinced. I gotcha. Eric, thanks for the time this morning. Appreciate it. Stay healthy, Greg. Eric Cam, economics professor at TMU University. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Stephen Chase and Robert Fifeman all over uh, the issues of Chinese election interference and the two Michaels. And this morning, we have Stephen Chase on the line because over the weekend, the Globe and Mail published a bombshell story about a rift between the two Michaels and the possible seeking of compensation from one of the Michaels from the federal government. They want to get paid for their time in jail in China, and they want the Canadian government to pay it out. So let's get to that. Stephen Chase joins us right now. Some of us were taken by surprise. There's a rift between the two men. Can you explain why this is the case? The heart of this, of course, is, is Mr. Spavor's, uh, you know, search for compensation. And so we wouldn't have been able to, uh, I don't think, uh, these men have both, you know, kept their silence as they returned in 2021. And this is the uh, the first crack uh, that sort of opened up uh, what might be going on there uh, beneath the surface. Because, you know, it was, you may have thought it was strange as a journalist, no big interviews when they got home, no books, no tell-all books, no nothing. So this is our first insight uh, these allegations that mr spavor is making canadians saw them i had to double back and figure out when it was because as you can imagine the last six weeks have been a bit of a uh you know it's 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 been a bit of a time capsule and a few weeks before that um the prime minister made his accusation in the house of commons towards india but we we forget that it was almost the first three months maybe four months of the 23 calendar year were very much dominated in part through your journalism um, with Chinese election interference, Han Dong's resignation. I had to look that up to nail that down. But the two Michaels were in the House of Commons in late March for a visit from Joe Biden, and they were there beside each other. And I rewatched that over the weekend, knowing I'd be getting a chance to talk to you and maybe other Canadians did. Now it feels even stranger that they both even showed up together almost as almost as a favor to Justin Trudeau so they could be acknowledged in, in the House that day in front of the president. Yes, uh, we are only beginning to learn about the relationship between the two men. We had, we'd known before that they were at least acquaintances, um, but now it appears uh, Mr. Spavor is uh, feels wronged by, very much wrong, uh, um, wronged in this relationship, and that's that's really what the what we're exploring right now in these stories. Is the implication almost that um, Mr. Spavor almost feels? the things that Kovrig did and the things that Kovrig said are this are almost the sole reason why Spavor was imprisoned. He wouldn't have been otherwise. He obviously he maintains innocence, but he only goes to jail and is held as long because of things Kovrig says. Do I have that right? That is the accusation he is making that I gave him information and it was passed on through this program, uh, this GSRP program. Uh, and that's what uh, the Global Security Reporting Program at, at Global Affairs, Canada's Foreign Affairs Department. And that's why 
he says that I ended up in the uh, in the clink for for three years. So Michael Michael Spavor is uh, a consultant, and he's working in North Korea at the time. Safe to say, is it not that Koverg is a lot more linked to, um, you know, to government, a lot more linked to. He was a former diplomat, as it was, so he's a lot more linked to the geopolitics of the Far East than than Spavor, who's working more as a businessman, really, whereas Kovrig has a lot of the inside access and probably contacts in geopolitics. Would that be right? Yeah. And, yeah. And just to be clear, this these accusations concern when Mr. Kovrig was still a diplomat for global affairs in China as a member of what's called this Global Security Reporting Program. It's very important for people to understand that program in order to understand what's happening here. This is a very uh, odd program. It is basically if you took a diplomat and stripped them of all their other duties, no more duties dealing with visas, don't have to deal with consular issues, don't have to deal with trade promotion. Your only job is to hoover up information of importance to Canada, economic information, political information, security information. You are basically uh, abstained, excused from all other duties as a journalist. Uh, and so that's what Mr. Kovrig was doing there. He was information gathering. He was a, a super collector. And that's when Mr. Spavor feels that information he he shared with Mr. Kovrig uh, came back to bite him later on. Because, of course, the uh, Mr. Kovrig uh, left China, then came back as a, essentially as a private citizen. Uh, and he was doing he was working for another organization at the time that, that the both were arrested. But the allegations were that this is information I share with you when you were part of this GSRP program in China. Stephen Chase with us from the Globe and Mail on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. Um, the financial aspect is, is there, is it safe to say the sentence is accurate that Mr. Spavor is looking for um, compensation from the Canadian federal government for his time in jail in China? Yes, he is. And I think there are two counts to it. There are the count of, you know, the government, uh, there was a link, everybody believes, acknowledges, it's almost a common knowledge now between the government's decision to arrest a Chinese tech executive, Meng Wanzhou, uh, in, in 2018. And there was a link between that and then the two Michaels being rounded up about 10 days later and, and then spending the next almost three years in jail. So I think there's two parts to it. One is, I'm in jail because of decisions taken by the Canadian government. I want compensation for that. Plus, I'm in jail because of uh, information that I shared with Mr. Spavor in the course of his duties as a diplomat, uh, as a super collector of information uh, with this Global Security Reporting Program. This is almost coming around now to just past two years since they've been out. Uh, again, it's very hard to keep track with all, all that's happened in our world in the last half decade, but there is no, there has been no long forum interviews. There's no book. There's no, you know, plan for a, a movie. Um, but I, I look and I go at some point, right? Like it, 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 it does it, would it, if I told you 24 months ago, there'd be none of that from these two men, would that have surprised you? I, it would have surprised me. But as we've we've constantly repeatedly tried to get interviews with these men, we've uh, heard um, stories that one of them is working on a book, but it seems to not be uh, on a very fast track, that the book won't be a tell-all book. So again, there's not really any interest in telling the story of what happened over those three years and what led to it. Possibly what's going on right now may, may change that. Maybe we'll hear more from them at some point. 
but there was no interest as far as we could tell in any kind of tell all um you know ex, uh, explanation of what happened and why it's a fascinating read um o- over the weekend and, and again i don't need to tell you it's uh it, it's it tells you why journalism is so important and the work um you and robert have done thanks for taking the time on our show today Stephen. i appreciate you doing that i'm glad to be here thanks for having me can't recommend reading that enough there's only so many layers you can get into in five or six minutes but dennis rodman kim jong-un wanting compensation from the Canadian government. What's the price you pay on being in a Chinese prison for two years? I have no idea, but I'm, I'm dying to find out.